Culture has the power to delight, excite, and absorb us. It's a fundamentally human thing. From entertainment and music, to literature and art, culture gives us a sense of belonging and plays a vital role in enriching our lives. I'm Nati Katambala, and this is Superculture, a Selfridges podcast series celebrating the importance of culture to each and every one of us. After a hugely challenging year for the creative industries, we're toasting to new beginnings by meeting remarkable people from a range of disciplines who are inspiring change, joy, and positivity in their artistic fields. We'll hear from them about their early influences and impactful moments that have gone on to shape them and their careers. In this episode, I'm joined by artist Hamid Maye. My name is Hamid Maye. I'm an interdisciplinary artist based in London. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm really excited to chat to you. Thank you for having me. (laughs) We always start with the big questions. And culture is something that is so vast and means so many different things to so many different people. So I wanted to know how you would define culture. Culture, what really is it? It's so tangible and intangible at the same time. It is everything. It is the way we speak, the way we communicate, the way we interact with each other, the way we relate, the way we think, the way we dress, the way we feel. I guess it's the fabric of society, essentially. Going to the start of your own journey, I guess, with art and culture, do you have any earliest memories of when you were first exposed to art? So my mum has always been into textiles. I always used to see her doing sketches and all those things. So like those were some of my earliest memories of anything vaguely artistic. I used to do a lot of um, doodling myself and it was just like, you know, just random doodles of like some of my favorite cartoons or animes or whatever. But I never really thought much of it. It was just something I enjoyed doing. And how do you think those experiences have gone on to, I guess, impact who you are today and the kind of art that you make? I think looking back at it, and what I was doing then. I think ultimately for me, art has become a search for expression and a a search for language. So I guess what I was doing then was trying to kind of figure out my own languages and my own forms of expression. Was there a specific moment or an age where you realised that your affinity for art could be this other, like, life path, basically? So I remember in high school, you know, you have that moment in year 11 where, you know, it's like, what do you want to be in life? (laughs) And I just really didn't know because, like, at school, I was, like, mostly equally good at most subjects so it was really difficult to really decide what felt right and I remember having a conversation with one of my cousins and he kind of highlighted that 
oh yeah, like, you know, you're quite good at drawing. Maybe think about something with that. And then I was thinking about this kind of starving artist narrative and thinking about the compromise around that. And I decided to take the architecture route. I remember even at A-level when I was um, going to sign up for my courses, I think it was on the day that I decided, okay, cool, I'm going to do architecture (laughs) because the other route would have been medicine. And what happened was I think one of the sciences I wanted was completely filled up um, at enrollment. So I was like, okay, cool. Like, <laughs> guess it's architecture yeah, then. <laughs> like, you know, we're going to do this. Like, so I, yeah, just studied um, a few A levels to aid my journey into architecture. And that was actually my first experience of studying art at any form because I didn't do GCSE art mm. or anything like that. So I remember, like, you know, starting off A level and everyone had, like, you know, a bit of a base. And I was just like, I had no skills. Mm-hmm. For me, I was just determined. I was like, you know, this isn't something that's going to conquer me. I'm going to conquer it. I mean, I just think it's so mind-blowing to imagine, like, that other alternate reality (laughs) in which that science class might not have been filled up and you became, like, a doctor or something. (laughs) Very much so. Like, that that could have been... That could have been a reality. Mm. It it probably is a reality. (laughs) Somewhere out there in the universe. Yeah, exactly. I wanted to know a little bit more about the culture where you grew up specifically and how that might have shaped you. I've mostly grown up around South, mostly like, you know, Brixton area. Mm. It's just a beautiful place. (laughs) Can't lie, like, South London to the end. You can't beat (laughs) South London pride. Like, Like, listen, (laughs) like three plantain for one pound. You know, OG (laughs) South London, like, you know. South is just beautiful. A mixture of just like different characters and different peoples and different ways of engaging and like different ways of presenting. And it definitely enriched my experiences with like culture and art and just the people around me. I guess you can't really talk about South London without talking about the changes that it's going through at the moment and how I wondered what it's like to kind of have been there since those first three plantain for a a pound (laughs) days and to kind of witness the shifts that have happened since. Yeah, so just for context, it definitely is not three for (laughs) one pound anymore. Those days are long, long gone. Yeah, it's like one for one pound fifty now, I think. (laughs) If you find a bargain. Listen, some places it's by the the weight, so (laughs) it's real out here. But yeah, like witnessing those shifts, it's a very slow an insidious thing to witness because neighbours start moving out prices of things suddenly start going up barbershops grocers like they all start closing down but one thing I would say is this still is the essence of resilience and I, I, I very much carry that resilience within me as well because as much as things are changing you know people are still there you know, they just plant themselves there and they're they're anchored because that is their Brixton and ultimately no one can take it from them. There's still such community and it's like, it's beautiful to see them kind of persist through the changes. Back to architecture for a second, I wondered, 
When you kind of made that shift from architecture to artists, were there any things in particular that you felt that you could bring from that discipline into the work that you create today? I would say studying architecture definitely gave me, I guess I would describe them as anchors, which I use in my practice now. Just to give context, architecture BA is conceptual and very like narrative driven. And BSc is more technical, so I did a BA. So from that, I definitely got a lot of skills, but especially like in terms of like the importance of narrative to projects. And a lot of the projects we would do, there would always have to be a user in mind in terms of like how they interact and engage with the space and your reasoning for creating that design. So the transition, I think when I decided to do art, I already had these skills, which I slowly started figuring out how to implement in my work. What was a standout cultural moment that inspired your career? The Soul of a Nation exhibition. Just because of the relevance of seeing that much Black art in one space Mm -hmm. and seeing a spectrum of Black art, anywhere from abstract to figurative. There is the unifying significance of being Black, but it also shows that you're not bound to one form of expression. Yeah, for sure. And also seeing some of those artists who are still alive being there to engage and share the work they made all the way like back in the 60s. Did you have any artists in there that you that had been particular inspirations for you at all or whose work you saw and it just like affected you deeply? David Hammonds. David Hammonds. David Hammonds. What what sort of medium does he use? <sighs> what doesn't he use? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good answer. Um so David Hammonds, um, I didn't realize how much his work impacted me until like years after. His work in the exhibition, I believe, were the body prints, which has influenced my most recent work. The way he approaches art just like is completely genius and boundary breaking and just like bold. So those body prints have been a huge influence for my most recent work. And um, he is a bit of a myth himself. So really? Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's, it's, it's very much intentionally so. He kind of makes you work in order to engage with his work. Nothing is spoon-fed. So I, I was really interested in these early body print works. And when you read about it, he had a shift at one point, uh, like... He had a shift where he just stopped making the body prints and this led him into the world of sculpture and to paraphrase he basically stopped wanting to buy art materials to make art so if you see his works post the body print up until quite recently one way to describe his practice or his sculptural practice is assemblage and that is done through bringing together objects to tell a story and to create a sculpture. And he more than often will use found objects. 
And he, he, he was quite a bit of a troll. There was a commission Hammond's had. It was commissioned by a rich couple for their home. And what he did was um, he got a picture frame and he collected the dust from around their house and traced around the frame and that imprint of dust, the dust drawing, that was what he gave them. (laughs) I wonder how much they paid for it. I kind of don't (laughs) want to know. We've talked around art and its meaning, but what is your process like actually when it comes to creating physically or otherwise creating the art that you make? Often my art will start as like visions or premonitions or just like I daydream a lot, a lot. (laughs) And often in these daydreams, I might be scanning through the daydream itself and there will be one standout image I find if this like snapshot of that daydream or that vision or whatever if it keeps recurring I have to explore it so that will often be the start point for some of my ideas and you know sometimes like it's literally like a that's so raven moment where I'm like (laughs) (laughs) stare into the distance literally Um, and I'll just like (laughs) have pen and paper or like I might go into my notes app I'll just like write the keywords lace mask it must be hard frown yeah and I just like put together these words so um, it can prompt that image back and that'll be the start point and I kind of have to work backwards from this image in order to almost conjure it into existence I I guess like I very much describe my practice as interdisciplinary because I work in different mediums um, and I don't feel necessarily tied down to a medium but the medium or the output has to feel appropriate for whatever the vision is I'll do a sketch of it and then I will usually work on a piece for around three to five days, usually around three days, because it it takes a while to get to the place of making. Most of it is thinking. Yeah. Executing is like probably the shortest part of the process. So when it comes to executing, the urgency is so immediate that I need to capitalize on that energy. So usually... It's like a three-day turnaround. And if I don't complete it in that time, often it just... Fades away. It fades away. Because it's kind of like you have to realise it quickly before it, like, while it feels close to you. Yeah. If you had to describe your work for someone who's never come across it, are there words that come to mind or themes? Yeah, memory, feeling, imagination, surrealism... Reality, time, inheritance, mutation, shape-shifting, myth-making. Could you tell us a little bit about the inspiration behind the work that you're currently doing and if there are any ways that you feel yourself absorbing culture or feel that it's tied to the culture that's around you? A lot of the work I'm currently doing 
revolves around memory and the different aspects of memory. And that kind of started as a manifestation of like digging into my own memories and trying to make this idea of memory tangible. And how it started off was I would try and recall memories from the past. And when I would meet these memories, I'd realize that they weren't as whole or complete as I thought. And often what we do when a memory is incomplete, we try and fill in that information to make it more complete. So I, I started off by doing some drawings, which I describe as anthropological drawings. These drawings helped me kind of visualize or start to visualize a tangibility around memory. And that slowly evolved into then figuring out the relationship between memory and imagination and how the two meet and especially that space in the middle of them and the role imagination plays into memory. And, you know, like that just became so many other offshoots, you know, ancestral memory, cultural memory, personal memory, and just like how all of these things kind of interplay within each other. In one part, I was also thinking about the idea of inheritance and what inheritance means. And I was thinking about it on a biological level and, you know, DNA and what we inherit um, and all that information that's stored from our ancestors. But also cultural memory and ancestral memory in terms of how we storytell and the objects we create to embody these memories as well. Yeah. On that second offshoot, you have talked about your use of, I guess, cultural objects to help trigger or inspire those memories for you. Could you tell me a bit about that? So a couple of weeks ago, I went to a friend's house and they own a real Benin bronze. And I remember just walking in and the presence of this object was just Mm. immense. I was quite intimidated by the heavy presence of this object. So it took me a while to even be able to approach it. And when I finally did, I can't even describe the feeling that I got from this object. I literally felt like I was downloading some sort of ancestral information. I felt a heavy connection with this object. I felt a care for this object. I felt a familiarity with this object. And a lot of the work I've been doing has been referencing these so-called objects, these objects that have been lost, stolen, displaced, etc. And in a lot of the early drawings I was doing, I was figuring out how to retrace memories and I was figuring out how to retrace my own memories and I was using these objects to figure out how they would reconcile and retrace their memories. And what I was doing was I was uh, doing these like black and white drawings with faces and kind of chalk outlines of some of these objects like kind of overlaid. And this is why 
I was describing them as anthropological drawings because they they are very much references from real life. And for those who don't know, could you just give us a little bit of a whistle-stop tour of the significance of Benin bronze and what exactly it, it, it means to kind of encounter something like that? They were very, very, very significant objects during the rule of the Benin kingdom. And often they were depictions of real people and um, each object had its own kind of unique characteristics. And essentially, I equate them to chapters of encyclopedias because they, they hold information. They are depictions of real people. They are documents in their own regard for you know reasons i'm not going to get into a lot of these objects were displaced Mm -hmm. in an attempt to kind of overthrow benning kingdom um so a lot of them are just all over the world not in their rightful places and to encounter one of these i felt honored on one part but at on, on the other part i was like i shouldn't feel honored because this is my lineage this is i have a right to this information yeah i think what i found amazing about this experience was despite its journey and the different hands it's been in the different places it still held its significance the energy was still still there and it was impossible to ignore And am I right in saying that you also use lace in your work? Yeah, so lace is something I've been slightly obsessed with. Not even slightly, (laughs) I've been obsessed with. um, Trying to really figure out like the symbolism around lace because it's something I've used in my work a lot, whether it be drawing or sculpture or whatever. I just find the... The use of lace is so interesting in terms of like, at one point, lace was something of elite significance. And all of a sudden, it became this very passive object that just sits in our homes. And using this in my work, I I just realized the kind of loaded nature around it. You mentioned some of your art as anthropological portraits or studies and you've also talked about viewing I guess the artist as an anthropologist which I find super interesting so could you tell us a little bit about what that means to you and how you find that it translates to your work I think the whole concept of anthropology like many disciplines has been held by certain people certain figures and they have been the ones to document And often when you read these documentations, it's heavily laced in voyeurism and it's just very problematic. I think I just had a pivotal moment where I was like, why can the artist not be an anthropologist? Because it's all about documenting. How are you hoping that culture will continue to inspire you and your work in the future? I feel like it's hard to really answer that question whilst being in the moment. It's one of those things you kind of appreciate in retrospect or future spec. You can speculate how you'd like to engage with culture or you can also 
lead how you'd like to engage with culture or you can reflect on your recent experiences with culture and like how that's in turn shaped you so like it I, I don't know i think it's something it's hard to really answer that question whilst being in it yeah i think maybe in a couple of years from now i can like appreciate the work i'm doing a lot more and kind of give it more context as to its cultural significance This podcast is part of Selfridge's ongoing exploration of the most exciting individuals and ideas in the arts. Tune in each week for more thought-provoking discussions and keep an eye on superculture at selfridges.com for mood-boosting events, art films and interviews that continue to explore the importance of culture. This is a Radio Wolfgang production and featured Hamid Maye. The producers were Cass Denton, Palama Kaufman, Holly Aquilina, with sound design by Ivor Manley. The executive producer was Ellie DiMartino. Martino.